In this stimulating message, we discover four strong reasons that confirm the existence of God and six evidences for creation. Simple yet convincing. Equip yourself to share Christ with those who do not believe. Let's say this out loud, bold and strong together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am what God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master, and to him I am in absolute surrender, in Jesus' name, amen. Starting today, we're going to do a four-part series called Reasons. Our attempt or our objective in this four-part series called Reasons is to answer four, four basic or important questions which concerning our faith, concerning what we believe, which many of us usually take for granted. But we want to face up to these questions and answer them. So today, Sunday the 12th of October, we'll talk about, we'll answer this question, does God exist and was the universe created? So pastor, we've been coming to church all these years. <laughs> what, a, what a question. But let's answer that question. How do we know that God exists and that things around us were actually created? Next Sunday, we'll talk about, we'll answer the question, is the Bible authentic and accurate? We all read the Bible, we preach from it, study it. But we answer the question, is the Bible authentic? Is it accurate? On the 26th, why is Jesus Christ unique in a world with so many options, so many gods and goddesses. Why is Jesus different? Why is he unique? The last one is on the 2nd of November. We'll, talk, we'll answer the question, is Jesus the only way to salvation? Four important questions. We'll spend the next four Sundays giving reasons in response to these questions. Now, why are we doing something like this? Why are we uh, addressing these questions? Several reasons. One. Uh, uh, we must understand that uh, we not only believe in the love of God, in the mercy of God, in, the, in God's work in our lives, but we also understand that God's given us a mind. He's given us the ability to ask and reason. And so this is part of our faith, the ability to ask questions and reason and provide answers. So we not only believe in the power of God, but we also believe in using our mind and finding answers uh, to legitimate questions. Paul the Apostle, when he went out preaching, he ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit, but he also reasoned with people. And several places in the, New in the book of Acts, you'll find Paul reasoning with people. One instance is in Acts 17 and verse 17. The Bible records here that he, that is Paul, reason in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile worshippers and in the marketplace daily 
with those who happened to be there. Paul reasoned. He reasoned with them. The Jewish believers in Gentiles and those in the marketplace. So in addition to demonstrating the power of God, he also reasoned with people. Answered their questions. Explained why we believe what we believe. The Apostle Peter also writes in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. He encourages us. He says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready to give a defense. Whether it's by the power of God, whether it's by reasoning, be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that you have. Some other uh, reasons why we're doing this is also to prepare us for the Power to Change campaign. Next month, when we go out to meet people and give out books, you know, they're going to ask you, so, how do you say the Bible is true? And you don't say, call my pastor, you know. <laughs> you can't do that. And how do you know there is a God? Why do you say Jesus is the only way to salvation? Why is he so different from all the other gods and goddesses out there? So, it, this, this series is being done intensely at this time to help us all be prepared or the part of change campaign. Another reason is for the benefit of parents. Parents, you need to pay close attention because you know when children grow up and they become teens, they come into teenage years, they're going to ask questions, and it is good that your children ask questions. You know, you send them to children's shirts, they go through children's shirts and everything, and you think everything is fine, but when they come to 13, 14, they're going to ask you, "Mom." Why do you believe the Bible? You can't say at that time, my grandfather, grandpa told me so. He can't say that. Are they going to ask you, Dad, how do you know there's a God? They're going to ask you. You can't say, just keep quiet, just believe. You know? That's not a good answer. Parents, be prepared. You need to give a legitimate answer to legitimate questions. A valid answer. It's not enough to say, just keep quiet and believe. No, they, 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 they need an answer. They need to know why we believe what we believe. And you as a parent should be able to provide the answer. And if your parent, as a parent, if you don't provide answers, they're going to go looking elsewhere. Now, as a church, we'll do our best to provide answers. But remember, they're within church only for two hours of the week. The rest of the time, they're there in school or college with other people and, or at home. And if they don't find answers at home... They're going to look for answers elsewhere, and you don't know what they're going to find. So parents, we ourselves, we need to be ready to provide answers for our own children. So there are several benefits of doing going through this uh, over, the next, over the next four Sundays. This, uh, a disclaimer here as we begin uh, answering these questions is, one is, uh, we are not scientists, and neither are we expert apologists. So we're not going to make things complicated, we're going to keep it very simple. Yes, we're going to be scientific in some of these answers. Yes, we're going to uh, reference our information and all of that. But we're going to try to answer this from a, a level that all of us can understand, can comprehend, and can communicate to other people. Is that okay? But you can dig further into this. So uh, as soon as the service is over, usually... The sermon outline goes on the website or it might be already there. So you could go take that. And at the end of the sermon outline for each message, you'll, give, you'll get a list of references that we've used to 
to work on the message. So you could go in and study those books even further uh, if you're interested uh, in getting more in-depth information. But we're going to do what we can in one hour or in 45 minutes and, uh, and just, you know, hit upon the main points sufficient for all of us to understand and provide legitimate answers. So let's begin with the first question. Does God exist? And was the universe created? I mean, is there a God? Did he create everything? Or did things happen by chance without the presence of God? I just want to begin with a few verses of scripture and then get into uh, answers that we can provide through science and other evidences. In Isaiah 40 verse 28, the Bible tells us this about God. The Bible says, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So the Bible points to these three attributes of God. First, it says God is infinite in time. He is the everlasting God. He is eternal. In our material world, there is nothing that's eternal but in the realm that God exists, God is eternal. He's infinite in time. He's infinite in power or energy or strength. He never faints nor grows weary. We in our world, we grow faint, old, and weary. But not God. He's infinite in power. And thirdly, God's infinite in understanding. There is no measure of his intelligence, of his understanding. So we as human beings are finite, living in this material world. and. We must understand that as finite beings, we are trying to wrap our brains, our intellect, our arms around an infinite God. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be quite difficult to do that. I remember this story I heard one preacher say about two friends who went fishing. And uh, this guy, you know, this man was catching fish. Every time he caught a fish bigger than six inches, he threw it back. So his friend was watching him and then he stopped him and said, hey, you know, you're supposed to keep all the big fish. Why are you throwing all the small, uh, all the, uh, why are you keeping the small fish and throwing all the big fish away? And his response was, because I have a frying pan that's only six inches long. And many of us, when we encounter things that our brains can't wrap itself around, we discard it as wrong. But that's not the way we should approach truth. Just because it's bigger than our capacity to understand we can't discard it as incorrect or untruth. It is still truth. Just that we are unable as finite beings to comprehend what is infinite. So as far as creation is concerned, here's what the Bible says. And Genesis 1 and verse 1, I think all of us know it. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the Bible begins with this implicit statement that everything material had a beginning. Except God, because he's outside this realm. In the beginning, there was a beginning for this material world. God, again implicit, God always existed. He was the one who didn't have a beginning. God didn't have a beginning. So he's always there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Again, an implicit statement. Creation took place. God created 
everything. And it gives us a little bit more detail. Exodus 20 verse 11 says, for, six, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Six days. Now, somebody, some, you know, sometimes people say, you know, uh, one day is like a thousands, thousands of years, thousands of years like one day. So the six years could mean thousands, six thousand years, whatever. You know, for me, I'm just fine believing that it took six days. That's okay with me. Because it's God anyway who's creating everything. And so Genesis 2 verses 1 and 2 says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them are finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. So in six days, he created everything. Seventh day, he rested. In the beginning, everything had a beginning. God, always existent, created. All, of the, all, crea- all, of, all things were created by God. Now, there are two kinds of people who have a problem with this. The atheists. Atheists essentially say God does not exist. And then the agnostics who just simply say that you can't know for sure. You can't know God. You can't know truths. That cannot be understood. That cannot be comprehended. And so you can't say for sure there is a God. Maybe he's there. Maybe he's not there. Now as we begin to approach and develop a response to these two kinds of people, as believers, we must understand that God is big enough to handle our questions. You know, some of us believers, we don't like questions. And instead of answering the question, we get angry with the person who asked the question. They keep quiet. <laughs> that is not the way to respond. No. We must encourage people to ask questions. Ask. Because God's given us a mind. Ask questions. Why do you believe it? How do you know it's true? Remember that God is big enough to handle any. And secondly, God's not afraid of scrutiny. He's not afraid. Now, you and I get scared. Ooh, that person's asking me more and more questions. (laughs) But God's not afraid. You can test him any way he wants. You can search him out. And he'll always come through. Because he's God. He's truth. So let's us people, let us believers get rid of our insecurities and be open to the questions others are asking. It's good that they're asking questions because now it gives us an opportunity to provide answers and help them find the truth. Now, to the atheists, or in response to atheism, we can challenge the underlying premise when an atheist makes a statement, God does not exist. The atheist is, make, is, is, is implying that he has searched everything, the far corners of this universe, every available space, searched it all thoroughly, found that there was no God, And therefore has come to this conclusion, God does not exist. But obviously that's not true. Because no one has and could possibly search everything out. No one can travel to the far corners of this universe to see if God is there or not there. So the very statement an atheist makes or atheism states, 
that God does not exist is an invalid statement. It's a baseless statement because it has no empirical evidence to support it. You can't state that because you haven't searched everything out. For an agnostic who says that there is no truth, you can't know for sure that God does not exist, that statement itself cannot be known for sure, cannot be taken for granted. Because on the very basis of their own logic, we can't take that statement itself. We question that. But we know that truth exists. There are absolutes. There is right and there is wrong. If something is, then it is. If you are driving at 10 kilometers per hour, you are at 10 kilometers per hour. It is fact. So truth exists. There is right and there is wrong. There are four strong or four cases that we can present for the existence of God. And then we're going to talk about six evidences for presenting the case for creation. Now, there is some overlap in all of these. So bear with me as we go through the first four and then the six evidences for creation. I will go through each of them quickly uh, this morning. The case of the existence of God, number one, cause and effect. Every effect has to have a cause. Now this morning if I said, you know, if a, uh, if this, if a ball came flying into this hall and I just said, it just happened, the ball just came, would you accept it? No. Most of us will be looking out the window. Who is playing there? Because we look for a cause. Something caused this ball to come in to the hall. It was not an accident. Maybe the children were playing out there and then the ball came in. They threw the ball in or something happened. We do not accept the fact that there was an effect without a cause. Every effect has to have a cause. It's impossible to have an effect without a cause. So, whatever had a beginning had a cause behind it. Both evolutionists and creationists believe or will state that the earth had a beginning. They only disagree on how it had a beginning. So, everything that had a beginning had a cause. And if, the, if, if this earth had a beginning, if this universe had a beginning, there had to be a cause behind it for its existence. As creationists, we call the cause God. Number two. Creation attests to a creator. Design calls for a designer. The Bible tells us, and I'm, and I'm just quoting some scriptures here. Romans 1 and verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The Bible is telling us that the invisible attributes of God are seen, are clearly seen in the things that are made. All of creation is pointing to a creator. And we will look at this in more detail a little later on as you look at scientific information in creation that demands or attests to a creator. All of creation is pointing to a creator. And the Bible is saying, look, the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen in his creation. So that we are without any kind of excuse. 
You know these verses in Psalm 19, verses 1 to 3. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, no language. Their voice is not heard. The heavens, they are telling us over and over and over and over, day after day, they are declaring to us the fact that there is a God. And there is no language where this, this is not understood. So you can go to any tribe in any remote part of this world, and God is speaking to them through his creation. I'm here. So creation itself is, is an ev evidence. All of this world around us, this universe around us, is pointing to us about a creator. Design demands for a designer. If I told you that this rich wristwatch just happened, you wouldn't believe that. You'll ask for the manufacturer. You know it was made there. So if we do not believe these basic, if, if we understand these basic things, we apply the same logic to all this universe around us. There had to be a designer, a creator, a maker. Number three is morality and rationality. The fact that human beings are born with a sense of morality, of right and wrong and rationality, the ability to reason, to think, to establish truths. Lifeless matter cannot cause consciousness, morality, and rationality. This had to come from another source. Our ability to understand, to reason, to think, to understand right and wrong, Morality, rationality, and consciousness had to come from another source. And number four, the fourth evidence here about the existence of God is because of supernatural phenomena. When we see answers to prayer, when we see supernatural healing happen, when we see demons manifest and, and deliverance take place, we can only say that the supernatural is real. Just this past week, somebody messaged me on I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. They were prayed for at church camp. This, this lady had a problem in her back and, uh, and, you know, some other things happening in her body. Uncomfortable for, for several, I think for two or three months this was going on. A simple prayer. She was healed. They waited for a few days. And then they sent a message saying, you know, this is really healed. I mean, this, we waited for a few days because we wanted to make sure that the healing had come. So how do you explain that? A prayer that brought about healing. From a condition that they had, this lady was suffering for at least three months before. But one prayer changed it. It's supernatural. I've personally seen many cases of demonic possession, people manifesting. Psychologists or psychiatrists can't explain that. They may attempt to, but they cannot explain for sure. What is demonic possession? What is demon possession? Why does a person behave like that? And how does a person get delivered when you minister to them in the name of Jesus? That they become whole. They're restored. How do you explain that? So if you believe in the presence of demons, most assuredly, you've got to believe in the presence of God in whose name. He brought healing and del deliverance. So the fact of supernatural phenomena, signs, wonders, healings, miracles, answers to prayer, are another evidence that there is a God. I want to move and talk a little bit about the case for creation. And again, as we present this case for creation, it also backs up the fact that there is a creator. We will look at six evidences on the, for, the, for creation. The first 
evidence from cosmology, evidence from physics, evidence from astronomy, evidence from biochemistry, evidence from biological information, and evidence from consciousness. I like what Stephen Meyer states that science done right will point us to God. We're not afraid of science because science, when it's done right, will point us to God. It just reveals to us how great God is. It just helps us see this, this God who's infinite in his understanding. It helps us see this God who's infinite in his power. And it helps us see this God who's infinite in time. Science helps us get a glimpse of his invisible attributes. Now, we, we can spend hours on each one of these and as you study them in detail. But we're just going to talk a little bit about each, just give us a little understanding on each of these and, and, and see that there is valid evidence in each of these areas of science that can point us to the existence of God and the fact of creation. Number one, look at evidence from cosmology, which simply is a study of the universe's origin. So people who study and try to find out how did everything come about, how did this universe come into existence, they're in the stream of science called cosmology. Now, in our material world, the concept, the, the, the actual infinity is only a concept. Infinity does not exist in our material world. There is no, no, nothing can be infinite. It's only a concept in our material world. And therefore, mathematically, everything has a beginning. This universe has to have a beginning. And in, in, in science, using Einstein's theory of relativity, Einstein, and we concluded that the universe is constantly expanding. It's constantly growing. It's always expanding. But it also means that if you work backwards, it had to have a beginning somewhere at some point. This universe, which is constantly expanding, had to have a beginning. And so in science, we agree that this universe had a beginning. It's, the question is, how did it happen? So, astronomer Fred Hoyle was the first one to come up with this concept called the Big Bang. That something happened that brought all of this into existence. But then this Big Bang had to be something that was intelligent. Something that was designed. Something that had a lot of intelligence in it. It could not be something that happened by chance, that was chaotic, that was disorderly, to result in what we have in the universe today. So the very fact that we agree that everything had a beginning and it had to be in order points us to something that's very intelligent, something very powerful and yet very intelligent in design. It points us to God. The Big Bang Theory and the Theory of Evolution have attempted to uh, to give theories on how things could have evolved. And many of us are familiar with it. We've studied it in, in school or in college, in biology, and try to understand some of these things. But we're not going to get into those details, but we need to ask some very simple questions. 
in response to these theories. Can chance produce intelligence? Could accident result in purpose? Can non-life create life? Can something come from nothing? Can chaos produce order? Logically, intuitively, our response to these questions is no. These things don't happen. And so, these theories that propose that order came out of chaos or lifeless matter produced what we have today and the consciousness and the intelligence and the, and the morality and the rationality that we have is actually illogical, it's counterintuitive, it's actually irrational. We don't apply the same logic in every other area of life. Number two, the evidence from physics. The anthropic principle simply tells us that there are constants in our physical world which have precise values and because of which this entire universe is in order and life exists on the planet. Take, for example, gravity, the force of gravity. We all understand the force of gravity. We learned that in school. We did lots and lots of equations on gravity. It's a constant. You close your eyes and you plug it in. It's fixed. But here's the thing. This force of gravity is so precise that even a minute change in that number, in its value, even if a minute change took place, life would cease to exist. And to understand how precise this is, if you had a scale that was as, as, as large as this universe and had calibration of one inch, and it was as long as this universe, even if you change the dial by one mark, one inch, everything would collapse. Or you could put it another way. If we had, it's one over a one raised to uh, 10 to the power of minus 50, that many decimal places, precision. Even if you change a little bit, life would cease to exist. Think about another physical constant, which is called the cosmological constant, which is basically the energy density of empty space. What scientists have found out is that if this constant was large and negative, this entire universe would collapse. If it was large and positive, everything would be just thrown out far and wide. But what they've discovered is that this cosmological constant is so small and it is so precise and everything is held in space. It's, it's so precise that the only comparison that they can use to illustrate it is if you are far, far away in the universe and if you had to throw a dart and it had to hit a particular point on this, on this planet, on Earth, and this point was one trillionth of a trillionth inch in diameter. And you had to throw it so precisely to hit this from some far corner of this universe. That's how precise this number has to be maintained. And that's how precise it is. 
unlike gravity and like the cosmological constant, there are at least, there are more than 30 other parameters that science has discovered here that keeps our entire universe in place. Could all this have happened by chance? Could all this have happened by a big bang that had no design in it? Don't think so. The fine-tuning of the universe points powerfully towards an intelligent designer. Number three, the evidence from astronomy. And again, I'm just bringing out one thought here. What we've learned from astronomy is that the earth is positioned in a unique place in a safe zone in our galaxy. That even a minor change in, this, in its position, life will not exist. The sun, its composition is so unique that enables life to take place on the earth. And the earth's distance from the sun, even if it was altered by as little as 5%, life would not exist. The moon, its position and its effects on the earth is so important that even if the moon was taken out, life would not exist. So tell me, could all this have happened by chance? Number four, the evidence of biochemistry. Again, just one thought. Consider a single cell. A single cell. The cell requires several complex parts to be in it for its composition. And all of these parts have to be uh, in precise relationship with each other for a cell to exist. And it is impossible for the cell to have come by evolution simply because it could never happen. A cell cannot exist unless all its parts exist together at the same time in their precise form. So it's impossible for different parts to have evolved and it come together. The cell cannot exist. So we call this an irreducibly complex system. You cannot get any smaller than this. This system has to exist in its entirety intact for it to be together. The individual parts cannot evolve and then form. It's an irreducibly complex system. And this points is a strong evidence of a purposeful intentional design by an intelligent creator. Number five, evidence from biological information. Now, many of us have studied biology in school, and I remember doing that in 11th grade. We're familiar with the Watson Creek model of the DNA, the six feet of genetic information that is coiled inside our human bodies, 100 trillion cells. And it has all the information that's needed to assemble the proteins that compose our body, that make up our body. So consider this. The human body has about 20,500 different kinds of proteins. We have about 100 trillion cells in our body. Now, each protein molecule, a single protein molecule, is dependent on having the right amino acids coming together in the right bonds and in the right sequence, in a specified sequence. 
Only then can you have a single protein molecule. You got to have the right amino acids coming together, the right formation and the right sequence. Only then can one single protein molecule be formed. The probability of these amino acids coming together in the right formation and in the right sequence for what, to form one protein molecule. The probability of this happening by chance is 1 in 10 to the power of 25. Meaning, forget it. This is for one protein molecule. Now, a simple cell, one single cell in our body has between 300 to 500 protein molecules. One cell. And our human body is made up of one trillion, 100 trillion cells. For one cell, simple cell, you need about 300 to 500 protein molecules. So what is the probability for all these cells to have come together? So you can put anything you want in this primordial soup. Put any number of amino acids or whatever you think was there at that time. The probability of these amino acids coming together to form even one single protein molecule is impossibility. It's like taking a bag of scrabble letters, throwing them on the ground, and expecting a leather-bound, nicely printed book coming out of it. Try it a zillion times. It will not happen. So, just this information is telling us there has to be an intelligent creator who figured all this out. And lastly, the evidence from consciousness. You know, all of us have the same organ, the brain, but we all have a different mind. Our beliefs, our passions, our value systems, what we call as the consciousness, our morality, our rationality, they're all different. But we all have the same brain. How is it that our, our these, these, these things that we call as the mind or the consciousness, how is it all, that we're all different? Can mere matter that supposedly produces the same thing give different results? A different mind, a different consciousness. Our only response to that will be, if there was an intelligent creator who's infinite in understanding, he can cause variations in the expression of what we call as consciousness or minds. So when we look at all of these things, and we've just scraped the surface here this morning, over and over again, regardless of which stream of science you want to explore, you see the fingerprint of God in everything. I want to conclude with some verses of scripture here this morning. And this doesn't isn't to offend anybody, but this is what the Bible says. In Psalm 14 and verse 1, the Bible says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. After having seen all of God's evidences all around us, whether it's far out in space or right in the minute details of a cell, if he still end up saying, there is no God. The Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Romans 1, 18 through 22, the passage we began with, it says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What is man doing? He is suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Purposefully, intentionally robbing, hiding, taking away the truth. Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. They are seeing it, staring in their face. And they are yet still determining or choosing to deny the reality of God and creation. Verse 20, but since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile or foolish in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Calling themselves, thinking themselves to be wise. God is saying they only became foolish. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20 and 21. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. Man by his own wisdom is unable to comprehend God. He needs God's help. I want to close with this thought. It's up to you and me to say yes. I recognize in the face of all of these things that there is a God and He created all things. Or to choose to deny His existence even though we have all of this evidence staring right, staring us right in the face. We began by saying that God is infinite in time, infinite in power, infinite in understanding. But what the Bible also teaches us is that this infinite God is so big, is also a personal God and a relational God. How can we say that? One, because this infinite God who made you and me, made you and me personal and relational. You and I are creatures who value relationship, who understand relationship. We are personal. We are relational. And God who created us, therefore, has to be this way. He created us in His image. So although God is so infinite, He's also a personal God, which means He knows you personally. The Bible says in Psalm 145, it says, uh, 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 He knows the number of stars. He calls them all by name. He's that infinite in his understanding. If he knows the stars by name, he surely knows your name. He's a personal God. And he's a relational God. Because he made us that way. Which means he wants to relate to you. He's infinite. He's powerful. But he's very relational. He relates. That's why the Bible talks about God as our father. Not as a force. He's our father. He's not some energy in some place. He is a very personal God. And the beauty is He calls each one of us to come into a personal relationship with Him. And He's made it possible through Jesus Christ. We sinned, our sins have taken us away from a holy God. But God sent Jesus to die for our sins on the cross. He was buried, He rose up again, He's alive today. And God throws us all an invitation saying, as many as who received him, Jesus, he gives the power to become the children of God. 
personal, relational. What an honor, what a privilege that this infinite God would know me and I, could know, I can know him personally and be called his son or daughter and relate to him on a personal basis. That's what this walk of faith is all about. And think about this infinite God now intervening in our lives personally, whether it's in healing our bodies, whether it's in healing our emotions, whether it's intervening in our circumstances. Can he do those things? Absolutely. Look at how much power he has. He's infinite in his power. He created this entire universe. He can surely do things in your life and mine. Amen. We're going to take a few moments to pray. I would request all of us to stand. I'll call Living Waters up again for us and to help us take a few moments here just to worship God. Do you believe in a God? Do you believe God created all things? I'll leave that decision to you this morning. You've heard what the Bible says. You've heard about the evidence from the world around us. Every stream of science points to God himself. But it's not just about believing that God exists or that God created everything. It's going further than that and saying, yes, I want to be in a relationship with this living God. I want to know him personally. I want to be his son or daughter. That's what the Bible offers for us. And if there's anyone here this morning that you don't know God as your father, that you don't know that you are his son or daughter, the Bible gives us all, gives us all an opportunity, an invitation. The Bible says, anyone who received him, that is Jesus Christ, to them he gives the power to become the children of God. Will you receive him? Will you receive Jesus? Would you let him come into your life and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to forgive my sins and I ask you to take over my life. Would you do that? If you will do that, he brings you into this wonderful relationship with God as creator, as Lord, as your father. I want, us to, I want to lead us in a simple prayer. If there's anyone here this morning, if you've never prayed and asked Jesus to come into your life, if you're not sure whether you're in this relationship with God, where God is your father, you are his son or daughter, where your sins have been washed away and you can now relate to him with nothing separating you from him. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me, please. If you've never done this before. Would you just pray and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. Make me a child of God. Help me to follow you. Help me to know you. Help me to live for you the rest of my life. Take my life, O oh Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is there anyone here you prayed this prayer for the very, very first time? You prayed this prayer with me this morning. Could you just put your hand up? Anybody here you prayed this prayer? I see one hand. Anybody else? Put this, you prayed this prayer with me very first time. Just put your hand up. 
Anybody else? Anybody else up in the balcony? Anybody else? Pray this prayer for the very first time in your life. All right, if you did, I want to ask you to come and please meet me right after the service. I'll be down there. I want to give you a new testament. I want to give you a new testament. A little card that gives you instructions of what to do next. I'll be praying this prayer. We celebrate with you. We rejoice. Anybody else, you prayed this prayer, you didn't raise your hand up, please come. Please meet with us here in front. We'll have a few words with you and then you can leave. Let's take a few moments to worship this great mighty God, this infinite God, this wonderful God. He's big enough to intervene in your life and your situation. Worship the Lord and the beauty of His holiness. I worship you, Lord, and the beauty of your holiness. Come on, join with me. I worship you, Lord, and the beauty of your holiness.
Lord, we just thank you that such a great God, such a powerful God, such an infinite God would love each one of us. We just thank you for your love and just being so personal, so close to each one of us. Thank you. Lord, you know where each one of us are. You know our needs. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will meet every need in this place, minister to every heart, every life, God. Do your wonders, do your miracles in our lives. Let your healing flow, let sickness and disease be broken up our bodies. We ask for intervention in situations and circumstances, Father. See your power at work. We thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's close, please. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance on you and give you his abundant peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday and a great week. You can download this message on the website, study it, be ready to give an answer to anybody asks you a reason. God bless you. Have a great week. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.